Don't believe the hype. Read the type. This is Type Beast. Take a look. It's in a book. It's Type Beast, baby. Yo, man. I feel like it's been a little while since you've sung that intro. Yeah, man. It's been it's been a while. But we back with another Type Beast episode. Yeah, this one. I, th- I think uh, a few people are going to be interested in this one, bro. All right, well, all right, well, I hope they're interested in all of them. But yeah, this is... Um, <laughs> I, I think this is a timely, a timely um, read. It's uh, "How to Be an Anti-Racist" by Ibrahim X. Kendi, and basically, what I did was um, after reading it, the, there was a lot of layers to it. Oh, by the way, uh, um, for those of you who don't know, um, "How to Be an Anti-Racist" uh, is a New York Times bestseller. Um, especially when the George Floyd, uh, George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery fiascos hit, the, those books were flying off the shelves. And so this was, um, yeah, this is, was a book that everybody was reading. And in light of it being Black History Month, also, you know, a lot of, a lot of companies, a lot of businesses, a lot of agencies have been implementing anti-racist training um, and counseling for their staff. And so um, I thought we would take a deeper look into it. And so what I decided to do with this one is um, I decided to write a blog post and focus on one aspect of the book because there's just so many layers to it in a good way. Like there's so many layers in a good way um, like there's so many angles you can take on it because it's very, and, and this is kudos to um, Ibrahim that there's a lot of layers in that it's comprehensive in that his ideas uh, touch every sphere of life. How to be an anti-racist really is how to be an anti-racist. And I would add in every sphere of life. And and so he, he, he does that. Um, and so what I tried to do was, um, in light of me, and I mentioned this in my blog post, which is called Anti-Racism is Anti-Abolitionism. And, and I'll get to why that I titled it that um, in a few. But as I was saying, I think that this is um, a necessary work and that we should be analyzing it. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's had um, significant uh, influence, maybe is the right word. Um, and so it's worthy of evaluation. Yeah, and and also, like, I, I took the time to read blogs, watch vlogs, as I mentioned in, 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 in my, um, my paper. And so... As I was like, because, you know, everybody has, a, has, has an opinion on it. And so I tried to, like, say, okay, well... I want to try to add something to the conversation. I I, I, re- I really did. And so that's what we're going to do. I'm going to try to add something to the conversation on how to be an anti-racist. So without further ado. How do you do? 
um, where are we going to go? Where are we going to go first, Joel? Um, after because you've read it. Um, when this this episode comes out, it'll be out and it'll be in circulation. You can find it on my blog. But uh, what, what did what did you think of the blog first, Joel? What was your opinion? On- um, well, I mean, I, I like um, assuming you know I I have a a, a director's cut that makes it to the final publishing. <laughs> um i i like sort of the 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 theme you've you've created with your headings um just a nice little layout um so uh, i'll leave it at that just in case you change them but um no no we no, can no okay. i i think yeah, it, you, you're set it, it's ready to publish yeah. i mean <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah yeah um yeah no i mean so you, you essentially five headings uh that that will summarize sort of the conversation we're going to have although some of them are a little more cryptic but um so Antithesis or antithesis, antithesis, uh, anti-competitive, anti-black, anti-social, and antibiotic uh, are the five headings of your article or your your blog post. Uh, I like it. I think it's a good summary. Uh, that and and I think uh, it's it's a nice little. I don't puns not the right word, um, but but nice little play on words with regards to the title of the, the of the book. So uh, I think. You know, something that we talked about way back um, on the episode about six types of Canadians was, you know, I don't know if we went specifically to this definition, but an idea of, you know, changing of words. And and to be honest, maybe this was our prep conversation that I'm thinking of because um, I'm slightly having deja vu to I know where I was mm-hmm. when we had this conversation. But we were, mm-hmm. you know, the idea that... Um, if I took a particular word and I'm like, okay, yeah, no, no issues. Right. The the definition makes sense to me. Right. Being, uh, and, and in this case, uh, the word that, that comes to mind is the idea of like anti-racist. Well, in the inherent meaning of it, well, who, 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 who's against racism, you know? Um, but that idea of being opposed to racism is is not uh, encompassing of what this term is really used for. Uh, and I think, you know, you started out by pointing that out, but you took it a little bit further than that. So um, I think I think you have a really, really good, strong point there. So I'll, I'll sort of set you up to, to deliver it. Um, but I think maybe just speak to, to why you thought defining terms was, was so important. Oh, um... Oh, sorry. Can I just touch on the title real yeah, quick? Yeah, no, no. yeah, just the. So the title is called Anti-Racism is Anti-Abolitionism and Anti-Abolitionism um, is is owed to um, those who were against the ending of slavery. So abolitionists are those who were um, for the ending of slavery and anti-abolitionists are those who are against um, blacks being free. Uh, and so the angle that I wanted to take, because I, like I said before, there was a lot of layers to the book and that the work of Ibrahim is comprehensive and that it touches every sphere of life. So the sphere that are, um, the lane that I wanted to focus on, uh, was economics, mainly the idea of, um, capitalism. Yeah. He, uh, he, he's pretty anti-capitalist. Um, as a person, as well as in the book. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. if you look at his social media, you look at most of his content, uh, he's very much 
I would call him a Marxist. But oh man, why you gotta call him names? I mean, he, calling people names. He has tendencies that that in terms of his you know proclivities of solutions that are you know equality uh equal equality of outcome as opposed to equality of opportunity so um i think your point is valid that that looking at uh the economics angle is something that um maybe most people doesn't don't look at and i think that's what's really insightful about your article um and when we get into that you know the latter the latter you know sections um i think you'll you know the hopefully the listener will think so as well so so coming back to what i, I had set you up on before you you know went into the about sort of why you thought it was important to to define terms especially you know provide a couple definitions or or uh, dictionary definitions mm-hmm. yeah i i thought it was important because <laughs> uh it's confusing <laughs> the topic is confusing because um who doesn't want to be against um, who doesn't want to be against racism, right? Because it sounds like, okay, well, anti-racism is a good thing. And um, I, I've heard some um, vloggers, um, vloggers, bloggers, um, those who don't agree with Kendi, um, and, and they use the term um, Trojan, like a Trojan horse term. <laughs> they use it like, they're like, oh, oh this, is a, this is a Trojan horse term, right? Um, like in the movie Troy. Um, where um, the Trojan horse is brought in, and like the enemies were hiding inside, inside the the tro- the horse, and then the, it was like a gift go- um, sent to the people. People, oh wow, it's a big old horsey, and then they brought the horse in in their gates, and then everybody went to sleep, and then um, the bad guys jumped out of the Trojan horse and killed everybody in their sleep. Uh, and so that's the term. People are like, oh yo, anti-racism is a Trojan horse term, and yeah. And so with that said, it's important to unpack the definition um, and, and bring clarity because it's kind of confusing because yes, anti-racism, who isn't against it? But um, I was looking at the work of Neil, Neil Shen, Shenvi, is that how you pronounce his name? That sounds Neil right. Shen. Yeah. yeah, Neil Shenvi and um, Shenvi, yeah. So and he's an expert on, on, on critical theory um, in which uh, anti-racism um, flows out of and on his website and I'm, i'll have a link to it um on, in my blog and so he he just gives a, a definition of uh racism and then a definition of anti-racism so definition of racism is opposition to racism so that, so that's that's being sorry that's being against racism so like i'm non-racist so i'm against racism and then anti-racism it, the definition is according to Kendi, is that uh, a commitment to actively dismantling systems and institutions that produce racism and what's wrong with that i mean it's you know this is what i was saying sort of so the previous conversation that i, I think we I, again i'm not sure if we touched on the podcast but i know we talked about it in our you know prep conversation it's like you know, you take the word systemic and racism and the dictionary definitions of those words, you know, okay, yeah, I know what you're talking about. But then when people start talking, sometimes the term systemic def- systemic racism is used as more colloquial than strict definition. So they start using it in a vaguer sense than what the strict definition of the word would be. 
Um, and, and that's where, you know, anti-racist, if I like, well, how is that any different than being opposed to racism? Like on a strict definition sense. Mm -hmm. So like in the book, he, he uses the definition of a racist is one who is supporting a racist policy through their actions or inaction or expressing a racist idea. And then an anti-racist, one who is supporting an anti-racist policy through their actions or expressing an anti-racist idea. So the point is like um, racist ideas always lead to racist actions. And and so this is where like, you know, the Marxist piece comes into me, right? Like, so the definition or sorry, racism and generally speaking will result in unequal outcome. The problem is that we're sort of confirm we're, we're applying a logical fallacy where like, well, unequal outcome <clears throat> is the result of racism. And so, you know, commitment to actively dismantling systems and institution that produce racism. Well, do you mean that produce unequal outcomes by race? Is that what, like, that's where this definition of anti-racism gets muddied. Because if you said your anti-racism is commitment to actively dismantling um, policies that are racist and and I just use policies as a more encompassing word then then okay then you're sort of morphing anti-racism into being something a little bit more but but you know technically you're still sticking to the to the idea um, without sort of you know muddying the waters but produce racism like Joe Boot talked about this right he said systems will perpetuate what already exists. Right? So if if you if you have a racist society, arguably the system that they that the society lives in produces racism as well, but the system is un unrelated to the actual racist outcome or or the racist actions being uh occurring and i say unrelated because with or without them they're not a contributing factor is sort of my point um and so again i it, you know it just the definitions get it, it it's meaningful because if i can't stick that if i can't hold on to that definition if it's hard to to work with or evaluate then i'm you know how how do i have a conversation about these things Right. So, I mean, even, even the definition you've read, it's sort of like, okay, that's vague. Like what does produce racism mean? Um, well, I don't know. What are your, I, what are your... No, I, I would answer that um, produce racism is um, disparity. And, and that's sort of why I said unequal outcome, because if you're saying despair, so actively dismantling systems or institution that produce disparities, um, we need to have a more fundamental conversation about disparities and their origins. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, yeah, because um, because he 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 define he says racist policy is more tangible, and so he likes to use the term racist policy because it's more tangible and exacting, and more likely to be immediately understood by people, including its victims 
who may not have the benefit of extensive fluency in racial terms. Racist policy says exactly what the problem is and where the problem is. Institutional racism and structural racism and systemic racism are redundant. Racism itself is institutional, structural, and systemic. So the idea of a racist policy um, is, is more of an exact term than um, using the term institutional racism, structural racism, or systemic racism. Like he said, though, those terms are redundant, and, and he would even say like they're somewhat vague and don't really hit, hit the issue. And so he's saying, okay, look, my work is bringing something more nuanced to the table and looking at racist policy. And it's funny because point, pointing back, and maybe we should put it in the show notes, pointing back to um, our episode on Canada's racist policies. Yeah, and yeah. and what we talked about this already. We have racist policies, and we we we, we talked about it. So, um, you know, when you guys get a time, get us, you know, get some free time, check it out. Yeah, and and that's the the episode I, I've I've been referring to, right? So same same episode, and 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 that is, um, you know, I I would agree. I like the term, or or I like the concept of focusing on racist policies, but I think at least for me, what I would define a racist policy and what he would define a racist policy would be different. <laughs> uh, um, I mean, the way that I would, uh, the way I think I defined it on that show, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I think I defined it on that show um, would be that um, any policy that makes a decision based on race when race is an irrelevant factor. That to me is a racist policy. Now he would say a racist policy is one. As I mean, I, I don't know if this is. There is a quote. Uh, I'm pulling it off actually of uh, Sam Say Slow to Write article: How to Be a Racist. One who is supporting a racist a racist is one who is supporting a racist policy through their actions or inactions. Or sorry, through their action or inaction or expressing a racist idea. But again, you know, you go back to what you sort of have identified that that he's using racism as racial, like, or or sort of vaguely referring to racial disparities, as well. Um, and so, if he's defining a racist policy to be one that creates uh, racial disparities, I I say there's a more fundamental question that needs to be asked of. Um. What is the cause of the disparity? I, I said it previously already in this conversation. I do agree that racism will produce a disparity, but that doesn't mean all racial disparities are the result of um, racism. Sorry, right? well, sorry, what do you mean by that? So uh, there's there's a I think the, there's a logical fallacy called confirming the consequence. So it's like if a then B, is the the logical premise so racism a produces unequal outcome that's the b b therefore a is the logical fallacy so unequal outcome it's called confirming the consequence b is the consequence in the logical statement if a then b b is the consequence so if i confirm b unequal outcome you cannot, it's a logical fallacy to assume that it's it's due to racism. Because although racism does dis produce disparities, 
I think we can all agree there are numbers of factors that produce disparities. And free will is a big factor. You know, um, preferences is a big factor. Intelligence is a big factor. Um, among other things. And, and, and not to say that we should just ignore the disparity. Um, but, but again, for me, it's, are we oversimplifying the problem because we're not willing to do the hard work? You know, it goes back to even, uh, one of our first episodes where we did the, we talked about the black experience project and, and, Mm -hmm. you know, my question was like, okay, let's keep digging into the data, right? Let's go deeper. So, um, anyways, but I know I'm, you know, harping on the point a bit, but I think it's, it's good to understand the definitions as he uses them and to say, you know, if you just concede the terms, potentially, if you're getting into a conversation or dispute with somebody and you're willing to concede the terms, you've already lost because the problem is the terminology they're using is, is conflating of terms or, um, potentially where the real dispute lies um, but you you can't get there because you've you've conceded terminology to to the other side or or to your opposition uh, when when that's really where you disagree so I don't know that that to me is when I see most of this content I mean it's the same thing with systemic racism if we're gonna start expanding the definition of a term the problem becomes we can't have a, a, a structured conversation because I don't really know what people are referring to when the terms they use have multiple meanings and those meanings are harder to nail down. Mm-hmm. And we got into this conversation um, in our is BLM sin when, when Phil, Phil came on the show and we were talking about the disparity being as a sign of racism. Mm-hmm. Put that in the show notes. Oh yeah. I mean, that's a man. It's crazy to think that episode was almost a year ago. so um you know i think you you in this section i know we got to move on but i think you you narrow down you know this idea of a primary source and secondary source and and i think you know it's important for for the listener to maybe understand why you thought it like why why did you think it was necessary to to you know dig into that piece a bit into the secondary and primary sources okay yeah um so the idea of primary secondary source was just was important because the argument i was making was that pointing out the error that candy was making is that uh he does a poor job um well he's a terrible historian so his histography is terrible histography is the study of historical writing and so studying the artifacts so looking at primary sources in light of the secondary sources and so i kind of make i make the argument that that he flips it actually that's the problem he flips it he he puts he 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 makes the secondary primary and the primary secondary and i explain why um in, in um in the paper but yeah it's the breakdown is basically uh the primary source is is like the eyewitness account and the documentation comes in the form of artwork, diary, letters. And the reason why primary sources are important um, is because um, they give us an honest account of history, 
right? So they're free from the pressure of political correctness. And then the secondary source is one step removed from the primary source. So this is where people use the primary source to inform their opinions or study them. So they give their own interpretation of the events of based on the primary source. And, and, and this is very important to note that there's a way that a person can give commentary on a primary source in a way that's biased, um, intentionally doing so and aware of their biases and being able to point it out. And then there's a way to give commentary that is not biased. And the way to, um, and, and this comes and you know, for Christians who are listening, you know, we, we know what that is, we, we, that, that's exegesis, right? Exegesis comes from the science of literature, which is called hermeneutics. And so uh, as, 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 as Christians, um, we are a people of the book. We are, we have a book of, it's not just a book of history, the Bible, but I'm uh, sorry, it's not just a book of theology, but it's also a history book. And, and we study history every day, if you're reading your Bible every day, and it's a historical account and we're handling a primary source. And then when we go to our commentaries, um, you know, some of them are secondary sources. And so we're really good at knowing how to handle um, and interpret historical texts. And this is where exegesis comes in. You have exegesis and you have eisegesis. Eisegesis is um, reading your opinions into the text and exegesis is um, t um, having the, the text speak for itself and, and letting it um, yeah, speak for itself. And so there, there is the basic idea is that, yeah, you could put your opinion into the text or you can let the text speak for itself. And that's the difference between putting your, um, the subjective and the objective interpretation of a text. And so, um, Kendi uh, drops the ball on that in his inability or not, I don't say inability, but I guess he hasn't, um, taken the time to look at the primary sources on, on, um, on capitalism um, as uh, written and documented by those who he's claiming to be against and trying to stop. Yeah, and, and that's really getting into your uh, antisocial section um, of, your, of your article? Uh, well, the next point was anti-competitive. Yeah, no, no, I just meant what the like the point you just made relates to what what you uh break down a little bit further okay okay yes, yeah, 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 sorry yeah yeah sorry so we'll, we'll okay, come cool. to that in a sec um you know in terms of the anti-competitive uh i mean i've sort of already spoke to this a little bit but but he does become very explicitly anti-capitalist you know you've got a quote that I find very interesting. So it's from page 60 of his book. It says, I keep using the term anti-capitalist as opposed to socialist or communist to include people who publicly or privately question or loathe capitalism, but do not identify as socialist or communist. I mean, to me, this just sounds like sketchy. Like, and, and I just say that because it's like, well, uh, or deceptive. Like I want to use a term that maybe people will be softer to, even though um, I'm really a socialist. Now, maybe I'm, I'm, that's probably not a fair classification. You know, he might, he would argue, no, I'm trying to do it for those who are inherently anti-socialist, but maybe don't realize they really shouldn't be. But I still, I, I, it's slippery because you're, again, you're creating up a new term. No one, no, like anti-capitalist. Okay. What do you mean by that? Right. So it sort of allows this idea of he's able to define, create terms as we go along as opposed to using um 
you know, predetermined or, or just strict definitions uh, that, that, I don't know, just, it, it becomes harder to argue when, when the, when you're creating new terms, because now everyone sort of has to get orientated as to what you're actually saying. So what, 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 why did you think it was so important to highlight this, this anti-capitalist component of, of his book and, and I think it, it's important because when I think of economics, I think of the science of making choices, the reallocation of scarce resources. And so like the science of economics um, is if, if you have a sound understanding of it, um, it can it can help economic mobility. That's why it's important to get the math right, so to speak. Um, and so whether you're capitalist or socialist or whatever sphere you fall on, um, like, like sound economics should lead to progress. And so that's, that's the angle I, I was coming at it from. And as, and as, um, you know, you'll see that I'm making the argument that capitalism has been helpful in helping black people progress as opposed to not. And that's the argument that Candy is making. Yeah, I mean, he's essentially making the argument that slave owners are capitalists. Yes. So he's, he makes the argument that racism and capitalism are um, twins, are conjoined twins, um, two sides of the same coin, so to speak. And so the reason why black the, the slave trade, the transatlantic slave trade happened is because of capitalism. Um, the reason why, um, yeah. And so, yeah, that's, those are, um, his yeah, positions. but, um, and as I say in the paper, um, but that's a common position though, in, in, in the black community, that's, a, mm -hmm. it's common to, to associate capitalism with racism and the slave trade. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, I'd have to go digging to find a, a link for this, but I think even it might be Bob Murphy has written an article that that sort of hypothesizes that actually slavery made us worse off in the long run. Like it's it's not that slavery created any sort of prosperity today. It's actually that because you lacked property rights and because people had the inability to allocate their own resources where they deemed the most appropriate, you're actually hindering the long-term productivity of the of society. Now that would go so antithetical to so many arguments about slavery, whether that's reparations or other arguments. Um, but I think it's important to understand that it's not the only reason to bring it up is to to demonstrate that it's not that simple. Right? You can't just well because someone exploited someone else, therefore, you know this they they were capitalists and and you know somehow you know capitalism is to blame in in from a free market perspective the lack of free market that slaves had to allocate their own labor actually hinders society and and you know to go along with that the amount of costs needed to enforce slaves you know being someone else's property when you have you know people running away those are just a uh, uh, wasted costs um, on society. So there's, again, I only bring it up just to say, you know, in line with what you've said that like, oh, this argument is, is common. Um, 
that that slavery and capitalism kind of go hand in hand. Um, there there are good, you know, and that's a, a strong economics based argument that he makes to show, you know, if we were looking at economics from a both sort of um, theoretical perspective, uh, as well as sort of, you know, economic, if we try to do some economic calculations, we can show that, you know, it actually didn't result in a net benefit, um, for society as a whole. So what now would you, would you say that his, uh, sort of anti-capitalist classification of slave or sorry, capitalist classification of slave owners, is due to the secondary primary source issue? Oh yes, yeah, yeah, most definitely. And yeah, um, I, I would definitely say that because, like, when and I give three main points, three main points of three anti-abolitionists, three slave owners, prominent slave owners who wrote on this issue and debated this issue, and they. And they were basically saying that um, they were anti-capitalist, uh, and these guys were. Uh, it was John C. Calhoun, eighteen seventeen eighty-two to eighteen fifty, and then George Fitzhugh, eighteen o six to eighteen eighty-one, and James Henry Hammond, eighteen o seven to eighteen sixty-four. And I use three of these guys, and I, and, I, and I and I go to their work, and I'm reading their work, and they're making arguments on why slaves shouldn't be free. And the argument they're using on why slaves shouldn't be free is because capitalism is terrible. It's it's worse. It's better off for blacks to be slaves than for them to be in a cap quote unquote capitalistic um, economy. And so, and it's funny. It's funny because when you read it, you're like, oh wow, like these guys are really making arguments why it's better for a slave to be under um, free labor than paid labor. And so these guys are making arguments why mm -hmm. <laughs> why slave, and it's, it's, it's twisted, but the arguments they're using, and I'm, they're arguments um, we use today. It's, it's the stuff we hear today. And that's the scary part um, where we're like, okay, well, if they're against anti-racism, or they're, if they're against anti-capitalism and you're against anti-capitalism, then I'm sorry. I, I thought you were against these guys. So why are you peddling the same economic principles as slaveholders? Yeah, it's... Uh, I mean, I think that's where you're shining some good light into this conversation. Right. And then on the flip side, um, I show the abolitionists. And I, and, I, and I just mentioned the ab, some abolitionists who were for the free market, right? So think about it. If anti-abolitionists if anti are using these arguments to keep blacks enslaved, what kind of arguments do you think the abolitionists are using? Think about it, right? You, you know, um, part of, you know, understanding history is, you know, putting history in its context. If, if these white racist people are saying, Let's keep blacks enslaved because capitalism is bad for them. What kind of arguments do you think the abolitionists are making? And so when and I and I name dropped a couple guys. I name dropped um, Booker T. Washington, Frederick Douglass, Alodu Equiano, 
Um, these are men that um, Aquiano bought bought his own freedom, and 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 he he had his own slave narrative um, that did really well, and and he documents his time um, in slavery, and he said that prior to whites, prior to him being um, bought into slavery, he was already a slave in Africa, and he, and he documents that in great detail in him being a slave in Africa before he became a slave under whites. Um, right. And then him talking and now since he bought his freedom, now he's fighting for, um, the freedom of blacks. And he works along, um, William Wilberforce, um, in the Clapham sect in England to, um, to abolish slavery, um, in, in England. And then you have Booker T. Washington, um, who, 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 once he's free, um, he creates the Tuskegee Institute. Now, I don't talk about this in, in, the, in, the, in the paper, but so I'm just giving you some context. But you have um, um, Booker T. Washington talking about, um, okay, now we're free. What are we going to do? Well, I'm going to create the Tuskegee Institute, which is an institute that is going to um, teach uh, Black people people skills like trade skills so that they can have um, skills to contribute to the economy so that they would be able to create um, wealth and a living for themselves uh, which is which is a free which these are free market principles also Frederick Douglass um, you know Frederick Douglass one of his speeches he, he says um, what shall we do with the what shall we do you know white people are saying what shall we do with the Negro now that he's free what shall we do with the Negro now that he's free? Right? Well, today, what would they say? What shall we do with the Negro? What What would people say today? If they're listening, Frederick Douglass asked, Frederick Douglass asked that question. They're going to say, okay, well, you know, we should help them. We should, um, you know, create programs for them and come alongside them. Well, Frederick Douglass says, do nothing with us. Do nothing mm -hmm. with us. Let us stand on our own feet, right? So, right. So, so, so these are guys um, who are um, at odds with the anti-abolitionists, and so these are the arguments. These these are the contextual historical arguments about how what economic ideas are helpful for black people and which ones aren't, and then and then and then I show um, people today. Sorry, you're going to say something? I was just going to say, yeah, it, it, I mean, it's it's good to point out because like you would think, okay, whatever the economic ideas of those who wanted to maintain slavery, you know, we should be considering, chances are we don't want those ones. And those who are against slavery, what are the economic ideas that they're promoting, right? Like it, it's, it's worthy of consideration. And this is where, you know, I always make the, the you know, I'd make this claim against um, Kendi that, are you being objective, right? Are you are you looking for a narrative? Are you looking to prove your point? Or are you looking to be objective and evaluating? Because, you know, from the way he's presented it is like, well, you know, secondary sources, you've got it twisted, right? You haven't you haven't dug in and, and tried to say, okay, let's present both ideas and, and weigh them against each other and see, you know, why would one group hold one and why would the other hold the other and, and, and evaluate them you know, with an honest sort of, no, he's clearly presenting one portion of the entire 
you know, conversation in order to reiterate mm-hmm. and, his but, own points. Uh, but I, I would say that's for good reason. He does that for good reason. And the reason, and, 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 and so, I, so I say in the post, I say, sadly, in the black community, capitalism is blamed for the transatlantic slave trade. I believe this is due to trusting the secondary sources of black people over the primary sources of white people. Who can blame us? Can you can you blame us for doing that? No, you can't. You can't. And and, and I and I agree with Kendi on that. This is why most black people are like, well, yo, you can't trust white people. You can't. Right? The, the, in order for you to survive and to push along, yo, you can't trust white work. You can't trust white history. So the secondary sources, right? Because you know, people will say, okay, you know, history is written by um, written by the victors. And so for black thinkers, current black thinkers are saying, okay, well, we're thinking and we're gonna speak for our people. You no longer speak for our people. So so we're gonna speak for our people. And so whatever we see from these primary sources from white people, um, yeah, we're not going to rock with it. We're going to come with our own ideas. And some of these ideas have manifested itself in Pan-Africanism. Now, I don't I don't talk about Pan-Africanism um, in, in, in the post because um, it's not good to add uh, new ideas, too many ideas to um, to a thought. But just to add context, like so Pan-Africanist ideas, Pan-Africanism is a worldwide movement that aims to encourage and strengthen bonds of solidarity between all indigenous and diaspora ethnic groups of African descent. So what that means is that um, for those people who um, are, who were descendants, um, who came to the Americas from Africa are part of the diaspora. And so the idea is to unite all black people from the diaspora and back to the motherland um, as one people, as one unit um, to support each other um, spiritually um, and also materially. So it's also like an economic principle It embodies economic principles. So this is something I grew up hearing um, this is something that's normal. It's just, it's, 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 it's a normal narrative of, of the black experience. And so this is where Kendi is coming from. And many people who are anti-capitalists are coming from. So, so for the listener, do you, does that sort of lead into the la- the last couple sections, you know, um, or is there, um, is there a, a, like for for your article if they're you know coming to it i think it's a very you know it sort of flows it builds upon itself um but is there any sort of abrupt change that they need to be aware of i mean obviously you went on the, a bit of a rabbit trail that you didn't bring into the to the post um but you know bringing it back to your your blog what what are you really trying to to drive home um, as we get to the you know the last couple of sections, uh, for the listener to to take. Oh uh, yeah, I, I just wanted them to uh, look at history and take it seriously. Um, you know, you heard the term like you know armchair historian. 
you know, you know, armchair meaning like uh, it comes from the the term armchair quarterback. So the armchair quarterback is the guy who watch who watches football and is lazy boy, and he's criticizing the quarterback. He's like, ah, look at this guy, man. He was in the pocket and he he couldn't get out and da, da, da. he couldn't make the pass. So it's the same thing with the, with the armchair historian or armchair theologian, armchair economist. You know, you got people uh, who sit in their armchair and make commentaries about history and don't know how to do it. Um, and just like any other discipline, you have to respect it because those people put in work. Um, economics is a discipline. Like like people who are economists act, you know, put in work. Uh, shout out to Stefan, new style Dindal. Um, <laughs> you know, like like mm-hmm. it's real. Like if you talk to Steph, this this is not a <laughs> this is not a play play thing. Theologians, um, pastors um, who study their Hebrew and Greek, it takes work. Um, same thing with history, it takes work. It's, it's not enough to just sit back and say, okay, you know, you, you're using the rubric of too male, too stale, and too pale, right? Uh, too male, meaning too male, too masculine, right? Okay, so we can't use that. Uh, too stale, right? Too old, right? You can't use that. Um, too pale. It's too white, <laughs> right? The, 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 hey. That's your framework, right? So, 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 we, so we can't rock with that material. That's not. No, that's not faithful. Um, that's not. That's not. That's not academic integrity. And so you have to get back to the basics. And, to, and so I try to teach the lesson of, you know, primary sources um, and secondary sources and that you're not um, majoring in, in the minors and minoring in the majors, right? You got to put everything in priority. And, and Kendi gets his priorities backwards. And as much as he's trying to help black people, if he's peddling ideas of anti- abolitionists, then actually his work is being counterproductive to the economic mobility of black people. And so, and so my, my last point is that, um, so I, I said this, um, his lack of knowledge of how to do historiography, the study of historical writing has made his work contradictory. It's because of the free market, he's able to have the number one selling book in America and is now the director of the Center of Anti-Racist Research at Boston University. In the same vein, if proponents of anti-racism aren't careful, they will repeat the history in, or repeat history in promoting the economic values of enslavers who thought they were helping black people, but in reality, we're actually hurting them. So for the listener who thinks you're blowing it out of proportion Mm -hmm. with that statement, like, you know, how can you hit it home a little bit more for them? Right. Because what you're saying is that, you know, the ideas he's promoting um, will actually result in the complete opposite impact that than what he's claiming. Um, I would take the claim it's from economic ignorance. Um, I think you would agree that he that that, that would be the re- reason why he's getting there. But I think there's also you've already made this point, and I'll just reiterate it. It sounds like you would also say he's uh, has historical ignorance um, in in terms of making that point. So um, tell me if I'm wrong there, and then you know uh, maybe unpack that a little bit more for the listener who thinks okay, you're being a little over the top here, like. 
you know, he might be wrong in his ideas, but he's not going to promote uh, values that enslave. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right. But see, this is, but this is why, you know, economics is so valued because it's these principles that either promote um, progress or, or regress. And I, and I give a definition and, I, and we didn't touch on it, but it's important to define what these terms are. And, and, and I tried to be as gracious um, and, and not straw man the 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 opposition and so I, I i gave a definition of of you know capitalism and I, and i basically said like there's pros and cons and and i'm not advocate i'm not saying like you know capitalism's perfect um i'm saying that there's pros and cons with with capitalism and there's pros and cons with 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 socialism um but the idea is looking at the two and comparing the two and the pros and cons of the two and then when historically, when you compare the pros and cons of the two, um, yeah, the, the cost-benefit analysis of, of, the free, of, of capitalism and the free market outweighs, um, would outweigh um, what um, socialism is. And, and actually, um, freedom, and thank God for it, freedom had prevailed. Black people were set free. And, and I guess that's what kind of always got me as a historian, like even as a little kid, you know, what hearing about um, Nazi Germany and the Holocaust. And the first thing as a little kid, the first thing that popped into my mind is what kind of political context and historical or economic context do these kind of ideas, do these things happen? What kind of um, economic, um, political um climate brings about freedom of black people right so these are the questions we have to ask and look at and so um and the answer is well it's, it's free market principles uh, and so I, I get into the definition of these things and and i and i think that one of the aspects under anti-black the title that i have in, in the paper anti-black i think um yeah i use the term i always use the term other brothers and there's always this one-sided narrative of that you know black people think this way and black people are um all believe this thing but you know there are other brothers who believe who don't believe the um anti-capitalism or capitalism is 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 racism narrative and and then uh, i name dropped um a couple people like um the great female economist dembisa moyo and then i I referenced the late um walter williams shelby Steele, glenn lowry thomas soul and these are black people that um smart smart intellectual black people that bring arguments against and i think that at this point you have to you have you have you have to wrestle with the ideas you can't just write them off and say okay well that's your white privilege talking or or your um uncle ruckus (laughs) you guys all know uncle ruckus Mm -hmm. uncle ruckus Uncle Ruckus is this guy um in the boondocks cartoons and he's a black guy he's um he's um he's he he hates black people and so in the cartoon um he's a black guy and he to to his bone in his heart he hates black people and it's funny it's supposed to be funny because there's just ways he just hates black people and he just says things that that just 
that's so mean towards black people and he hates himself as a black person and he wishes he was white and it's supposed to be funny but anyways but you know the, the term the term uncle ruckus gets thrown around but i'm just saying like you know if, if we're really honest in trying to help people and again this isn't about you know calling people names or whatever the case may be you know put that aside whether it's somebody who's a cultural Marxist or social justice or social justice warrior or a coon or Uncle Tom, like squash all that. Squash all that. Let's just do the math. Let's just sit down and do the math. That's all, right? And assuming that both sides want to help black people, sit down and do the math. Assuming both sides love black people. I love black people. I want to see black people succeed. And so I don't want to push ideas that are going to hurt them. And so for me, looking at the math and looking at the principles and hearing both sides of the argument, well, no, clearly one side is better than the other. Um, but I, I hope that I hope that um, answers your question um, in regards to me being too heavy handed or, or being um, um, not fair uh, to what Candy is doing. No, I, I mean, I think, I think you were, um, I think you were fair. Obviously, I'm just sort of anticipating objections, and and you know, there's a quote from from Sam Say's article um, that I'll put in the show notes page too that I think, you know, sort of demonstrates um, a little bit of Kendi's approach, and and you know, this is where where I'll end. I'll, I'll sort of leverage Sam Say. Um, because, you know, your point is so valid about those that, you know, what whatever the community is, right? If you want to see the betterment of a given community, you got to do the work to figure out the cause and effect relationships that are causing, you know, negative outcomes. And be willing that what your preconceived notions are might be wrong. And I'll, I'll assume Kendi is very convinced in his position. But many people that are, let's say, more left-leaning, not all, but, but many people on the, the left are motivated by um, the, the objectives are morally <laughs> good. So their objectives are morally good, therefore you can't argue with it. Or, therefore, I'm going to do everything to get people on my side. And, and the willingness to say, maybe my ideas, although motivated well, aren't good, is a little bit tougher. And I think it's demonstrated in his approach to the book. So this is uh, Sam say a quote that I, I really liked in his article. So and the book is part memoir, part manifesto, the storytelling of the, uh, the storytelling aspect of the book is an intentional and crucial approach for Kendi. Critical race theorists use storytelling to demonstrate their standpoint of epistemology a theory meaning an oppressed person's experiences give them expertise or special insight into ending injustice. That is why throughout the book, Kendi delivers various forms of supposed racism and rant and anti-racism only after describing his experiences. By describing his truth, he gives him authority to define truth. Therefore, chapter by chapter, Kendi describes and defines biological, ethical, ethnic, bodily, mm -hmm. cultural, behavioral, mm -hmm. class, gender, queer, mm -hmm. and space mm -hmm. racism. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the reason I thought it was good to, to read that and, and summarize it is that, 
you know, the word manifesto, this is like, you know, he's trying to rally people behind his approach to solving the problems by appealing to your emotion, by appealing to, um, you know, he tells you a story that, that, you know, befriends you and gets you on his side to then tell you what he thinks is true. Um, there's an aspect of, of approach and tactic here. And not to say that, you know, obviously my approach would be like very methodical and numerical and showing that, you know, this approach would, would produce the best results. But I'm not saying that my approach is, is better, but to some extent, the way Sam sort of summarized it, it's very, very difficult to disagree in a manner that says, here's why you're wrong when this, when everything is sort of based on, you know, as he put it, um, standpoint epistemology, because that approach says, well, you can't argue with me because my experience is my truth. Uh, and it's sort of, um, it hinders the idea that while objective truth may be hard to observe, it doesn't mean we shouldn't pursue it. Um, and, and that's where, I, I would definitely stand. I think that's where you stand is that, you know, we want to find the best solution, not the solution that, that is, you know, uh, has the best motivations, um, mm-hmm. to, to um, solve problems. Like, yeah. And, I, and I, I would, um, say that lived experience, um, is, is, uh, is King and right. So yeah. Yeah. In and I think world. that, you know, <laughs> it's kind of funny because, um, so when I walk into a room full of white people, I'm king. Why? Because I have a lived experience, right? I, I've, I've been surrounded by police, just being in a neighborhood and four squad cars come and surround me. I've, I've been searched outside of a shopper's drug mart. I've been arrested and detained because I fit the description of a, somebody that was it, part of a shooting the night before. I've been escorted outside of bars because a white girl said um, I made a, a pass at her and now they're kicking me out the bar. I've been humiliated because I'm black. I've been stopped by the police numerous times. Why? Because they care about my safety and they're checking in on me. I have the live experience. I have the proof. I have the scars. Right? So I can walk into the room and be an authority. The only difference is my conclusion isn't the same as Kendi's. And so this is why I use the term other brothers. And so it's important that as much as, you know, we say, oh, well, um, the left is dominating and this and this and that, we have to use the weapons of the age and the context that is calling the fight for. If they're going to give black people, um, all black people a platform, well, then, you know, help spread my ideas, Sam's ideas, Daryl Harrison's ideas. Right? You see what I'm saying? And again, like, like, I understand, um, like, it's important to be gracious and humble and kind. And, 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 you know, I will buy you a coffee. I'll buy you a slice of pizza and we can break bread. And, but I'll let you guys know straight up, you know, I was born in the 80s. That means that I don't run from no one, right? If I say something, I stand by it and you can find me, right? I come from a time where if you were the toughest kid in the playground, you had to prove it. If you were the fastest kid in the playground, you had to prove it. If you are the best rapper, 
you have to prove it. If you're the best ball player, you have to prove it. I'm saying my ideas are right. They're correct. And I can prove it. You can find me. I will not run. You can hit me up. You can email me, message me. I will not run. Come talk to me and I will listen. Because the idea, there's no merit in me being right. No merit in me being right. I get nothing. What's the point of being right and black people are struggling and suffering? Who cares? Who cares? The goal is to um, encourage, build up, um, edify, uh, mobilize people that are struggling, especially you know those in the black community that are struggling. That's what I care about. I don't care about being right. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't have a horse in the race, so to speak. Um, but I'm saying that because of lived experience, and um, that's king. Um, I'm saying share the blog post, share the episode, um, especially among Christians. You can't call me a coon because I'm your brother. You can't call me Uncle Ruckus because I love pe black people and I love being black. But I think it's time for a change to start pushing um, ideas that are counter um, to the narrative of um, black people think this way. All black people are anti-capitalist. All black people are um, X, right? There's, there's different thoughts. There's different thinkers. There's different ways that black people have approached things. And I, and I want to represent that and, and help bring real change. Like I said, you can find me. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, under do good of Darnell, D-O-G-U-D-D-A underscore Darnell. The do good stands for actually doing good. <laughs> and Darnell Sam try, are trying. No, no, man, no, man. We're getting the job done, man. As, as uh, my coach Alvin used to say when I was in, um, when I was a kid, he used to say, don't try, do. Or trying. Don't try, do. So that's what we that's what we're here to do. We're here to be do good as and 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 do good and encourage people and build up black people and and, and create some kind of unity um between all cultures. True. Um you can find me also on Facebook, uh Darnell Samuels, check out my blog, um, high end theories. Let me know what you think. I will not run. Come see me. Holla back. Yeah, so I'll have lots of uh, you know, Darnell stuff on our and uh, that his article, a bunch of links for the show. Um you know, and, and I think your point that, you know, we, we don't aim to be right, right? Like the point of this podcast isn't necessarily to expose our ideas because we think they're the, the best. Um, we, we have our particular positions because we think we've come to the conclusion that they are right. But I, I think for both of us, we're willing to have our minds changed. Um, and I'd, I, I think that's something that's not that common today. You know, many people want to push their ideas um, and they, they want to be right as opposed to they want to engage in conversation. So um, when Darnell says, you know, reach out to us, like, you know, it applies to both of us, regardless of the, you know, any position we hold, you know, we want to engage with the, the things that challenge our positions, the, the ideas that that have to be reconciled um, or, you know, positions or experiences that don't match up with our positions. Um, we want to wrestle through them because it helps us to know our own position better and, and maybe even change if, if uh, we're incorrect. So reach out to me, tjoeln 39 on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And then you can hit us up on Facebook and Twitter for uh, Six Sense Report at Six Sense Report. Or email us, sixcentsreport at gmail.com. Especially if you want to get on the show and maybe, uh, maybe try and put Darnell in his place on this one. And 
Don't believe the hype? Read the type. But you heard me? Does that make sense?